0: Hey guys, welcome to Christian Dating Service Plus. My name is Dave Butler, and today we're going to talk about the F word, forgiveness. In my mind, learning how to forgive is probably the hardest but most important ingredient in any successful relationship, including dating relationships. Let's listen in. Well, good morning. My name is Nelson. Welcome to The Journey once again. Today we're continuing our series on the real F word, which is forgiveness, by talking about this difficult subject of how... Can we forgive others? How many of you would uh, recognize the Lord's Prayer? You've heard that term before, the Lord's Prayer? and You know, it's found a couple of times in Scripture. It's found in Matthew chapter 6. It's also found in Luke chapter 11. And you know how it goes. If you know it, don't have to say it out loud. Just say it in your mind as you follow along with me. And it says, uh, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What in the world does hallowed mean? That means to honor God's name. It means God's name is holy. It says, May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You've heard that before many times, I imagine. Did you catch that verse? Kind of in the middle of the prayer, it says, And God, forgive us our sins just as... We forgive others. I put it in your outline from Luke 11, verse 4, snuck away in the middle of the Lord's Prayer that little phrase. Forgive us our sins just as we forgive those who sin against us. Now, why is that so hard? I mean, it's one thing to ask God to forgive us, and uh, that's what we talked about a couple of weeks ago at Easter. Last week, we talked about forgiving ourselves, because sometimes, even though we know God has forgiven us, we have a hard time forgiving ourselves. But then today, we're talking about one of the most difficult issues of forgiveness, and that is, how do you forgive others? But the Bible says, just as God has forgiven us, then we also must forgive others. And yet, this is tough stuff. This is hard to do. Why is that? Well, I think one of the reasons that it's so hard to forgive others is because we have a misunderstanding about what forgiving others really is. So if you look in the top of your message notes, you'll see that I've written, Forgiving others is not. Here's what forgiving others is not. Number one, forgiving others is not justifying their actions justifying their actions you see if you've been harmed in the past if you need forgiveness from someone you don't have to justify their actions you don't have to say things like well they were under a lot of stress or you know they were they were under a lot of pressure or well i certainly don't think they meant it that way forgiving others is not justifying their action second written in your notes forgiving others is not trusting the passage of time have you heard that myth that uh, time heals all wounds and i'm thinking what world are you living in I mean, the passage of time doesn't make things better. I don't know about you, but I've got things I'm holding on to that are 20, even 30 years old. And yet time has done nothing to erase those. So forgiving others is not trusting the passage of time. I've noticed that sometimes the passage of time comes alone. It doesn't bring about healing. It doesn't make things better. It just passes away. So it's not trusting the passage of time. Number three, forgiving others is not denying that you're hurt. It's not saying, oh, it didn't hurt, it didn't matter, I didn't notice anything, it really didn't affect me. Now, if you're a guy, we're really good at this, guys. Guys especially love to deny. No, we're tough, we're rugged, we're, you know, individuals. Nobody hurt us, I'm not hurt, I didn't feel a thing during that. But, you know, forgiveness, and when somebody hurts you, it's kind of like getting a splinter in your finger. Have you ever had that? I mean, sometimes it may be really small, but if you just deny that it's there, then it's going to eventually harm your whole hand. And that little splinter actually can eventually harm your whole body. So it's not denying that you're hurt. And then next, forgiveness, forgiving others is not confronting them personally. It's not going to them and grabbing them by the throat and saying, give me an apology. Forgiveness is not seeking revenge and getting in their face as much as we want to do that when somebody hurt us. Forgiving others is not any of these. So what does it mean to really forgive others? How can we forgive others just as God has forgiven us? Well, for that I want us to go to the Scripture, and the Bible, of course, says a lot about forgiveness. The series that ran is one of the big themes of the Scripture, and today I want us to look at the biblical process for forgiveness, because the Bible lays out very clear a process we can walk through to find freedom in forgiving others. Now, as we look at this process this morning, one of the things I'm going to challenge you to do is to personalize the process. You see, I don't want this just to be an abstract intellectual exercise. Instead, today, I want you to experience true freedom, and I want you to think of someone you need to forgive, and let's personalize this process. So with that in mind, let me show you the first step in learning to forgive others, and it's number one, remember how much I've been forgiven. Remember how much I've been forgiven is kind of how that should be said, because the first step in forgiving others is to understand how much God has forgiven you. Now how much has God forgiven you? A lot. He's forgiven me a lot. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago in Easter we talked about the prodigal son? And I said this most famous short story in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son, is actually my story and it's actually your story. You see, we're the prodigal son or we're the prodigal daughter who's turned our back on our loving father. We've gone our own way. We've enjoyed sin for a season. And yet when we return home, God welcomes us back. And God forgives us, not just partially, but God forgives us completely. God doesn't make us pay it back. God forgives us freely. And so we have to be reminded over and over, because we as humans have an amazing capacity to forget. And we forget just how good we've got it. We forget how completely and how fully and how freely God has forgiven us. You see, we're the prodigal son. We've sinned. We've lost the right to be forgiven. We can do nothing to earn God's forgiveness. God doesn't demand an apology from us, but yet he will wipe us clean if we come to him. Isaiah 1, 18 is such a great verse because it talks about God's complete forgiveness. It's in your outline. Notice what it says. Come, let's talk this over, says the Lord. No matter how deep the stain of your sins, I can take it out and make you as clean as freshly fallen snow. Even if you are stained as red as snow. Crimson, I can make you white as wool. You see, before we go any further in this process of understanding how to forgive others, we must first understand how much God has forgiven us. We must remember that we were the ones who went to God with this crimson stain on our soul, and God totally forgave us. Why? Because God offers His forgiveness, not conditionally, but unconditionally. And it's so important that we remember. It's step number one. And listen, you've got to get this step down first. Because only forgiven people can forgive others. And maybe one of the reasons it's been so hard for you to forgive another person is because you haven't fully understood how much you've been forgiven by God. So before we look at step two, I want us to take just a moment here at the beginning of this teaching. And I want us to remember how much we've been forgiven our worship team has put together an amazing song that we're going to sing that's going to help us remember how much we've been forgiven. And so would you just open your mind and say two things. Say, number one, God, remind me. Remind me during this short time of worship how much I've been forgiven. And then number two, God, bring to mind the name of someone who I need to forgive and let me personalize this process. So let's go through that. But before we do and before our worship team comes, would you just bow your head in prayer with me? Father, in just a moment, as we sing and think about the cross and think about how you've taken our crimson stain of sin and you've totally forgiven us. God, as we sing about that, would you help it to be more than just words on our lips, but help us to understand it with our hearts. God, we want to remember just how much we've been forgiven. And then, God, just as you've forgiven us, teach us how to forgive others. We pray all of this together today. Amen. So, did you remember how much you've been forgiven? Did you get a chance to reflect on that? How about this? Did you think of someone you need to forgive? Bringing those two things together, Jesus tells a story, a parable, sometimes called the parable of the unforgiving servant. It's in Matthew chapter 18. He tells the story about a king who was owed a lot of money, and so the king decided to call in the people who were in debt to him and make them pay. And so the first guy the king called is a guy who owed him millions of dollars. And so the guy who owes the millions comes before the king, and the king says, you owe me millions, pay up. And the guy says, I don't have the money. And so the king said, well, I'll throw you, your wife, and your children in prison. That's what they did in those days. That's kind of what they do today, if you've ever missed a credit card payment. And so that's what they did. And the guy fell on his knees, the person who owed the millions, he fell on his knees before the king, and he said, king, these words. O king, be patient with me, and I will pay it all back. Now, first of all, he was probably telling a lie, because millions of dollars in those days would have been more than the whole gross national product of the nation. So certainly he wouldn't have been able to pay it all back. But look what the king did. The king, it says, was filled with pity for him, and he released him and forgave his debt. He says, don't worry about paying me back. You're free. He had pity on him. Well, the man, who was in debt. He left the king. He's walking down the street, and he sees a guy who owes him a few thousand dollars this man goes up to him he grabs the person who owes him a few thousand by the throat and he begins to shake him shaking the money out of him and by the way that was legal in those days too if somebody owed you money and you saw him on the street you had the right to take revenge so he begins to shake him by the throat with well, a guy who was in debt thousands fell down in front of the guy who had just been cleared of millions and this is what he says to him he says dear sir be patient with me and i will pay him back But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and jailed and thrown into debtor's prison, he, his wife, and his children. Well, the word got back to the king. And the king heard what had happened, and the king was very upset. And the king went to the man who he had forgiven millions. Pick the story up in your notes. It's just below the fill-in for number two, but don't worry, type A's. I'll get back to the fill-in. Go to Matthew 18, 32 through 35. Here's how the story ends. It says, Then... The king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man man to prison until he had paid every penny. The story ends, but Jesus continues the commentary and says this, That's what my heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters and sisters. In your hearts. Some strong language. Understand the story. Understand how much you've been forgiven by others. Do you have somebody in mind that you need to forgive? I bet you do. I bet from the very moment we started this message today, you thought of someone. You had a picture in your mind. You began to play the tape of how they had hurt you. Perhaps it was someone who had committed an infidelity towards you. Perhaps it was a lover or a spouse that has hurt you. Perhaps it was a parent that abused you or molested you. Perhaps it was a friend who betrayed you. Or perhaps it was someone at work who unjustly criticized you. You see, what we're talking about today is very personal. How do you forgive others? And even though it may be a bit painful, as we continue to walk through this process, I want you to personalize it. And I want you to think of someone that you need to forgive and think about how you can apply this process to that situation. So the first step is to remember how much I've been forgiven. And here's the key to this whole process. It's actually step number two. And you can write this down. After you've remembered, now it's time to release. Release the person entirely. The person who you're thinking about in your mind, release them entirely. Now what does it mean to release? It means to set them free. It means to no longer hold on to the bitterness or the resentment. It means to stop playing the tapes of the incident where they harmed you over and over in your mind. It means to fully let it go, to drop the grudge. And you see, to release a person means you don't have to confront them, repair, or even reconcile. Because releasing is all about your decision. You don't even have to be in conversation with the other person to release them. You can choose to release them. Forgiveness is always a choice. Forgiveness is not an emotion. It's a choice. And in this step of the process, you make the choice to forgive them. And when you make that choice, tremendous freedom is yours. But you see, a lot of you, instead of releasing a person, you're holding a, a grudge toward a person. Got any grudges in your life? I read this week that holding a grudge is like drinking poison and hoping the other person will get sick. Have you ever done that? Have you ever held a grudge? Are you ready to release that person? Do you want to walk out of here today free and experiencing the joy that God wants to give you when you forgive others? You see, look, I think a lot of you probably understand this intellectually. You've got it with your head, the idea that you should release others. But I wonder if you've ever done that emotionally. Have you ever worked this process of releasing a person emotionally? I know this can be difficult. So let me just give you a couple of practical ways that you can release a person entirely. These are not necessarily biblical ways. They're not anti-biblical ways. But these are some ways psychology has taught us that we can release a person. For example, in psychology they teach one of the things that you can do is you can take out a piece of paper and you can sit down and you can write a letter to the person who has offended you. And in that letter you can say whatever you want to. You can say how much they've hurt you. You can say how it felt. You can say all that stuff back to them that you wanted to say. If you ever had the chance, you can write it all down. But then at the end of that letter, you say that you release them. You say you're setting them free. You're no longer holding this to them. And then you take that letter and you fold it and you put it in an envelope and then you never mail It, it goes in a drawer somewhere. It's your release papers. It's the freedom. And you know, as silly as that might sound, it'll work. It will set you free because there's something about taking action on what we're talking about today that works. Now, other times it's taught that you can sometimes sit down with someone and have an imaginary conversation. So in your room you can pull up a chair and you can pretend the person's there in that chair and you can have this conversation and the cathartic release of this imaginary dialogue allows you to release them. Other psychologists teach that you can take a picture of a person who has harmed you. And you can have a conversation with that picture. And I thought I would demonstrate that as well because what I got here is I went to my bedroom and I took a picture that I had on my nightstand of someone who had greatly harmed me. And I had it blown up so that I could demonstrate this to you today. And so when I turn this around, you're going to see the face of someone who's offended me, somebody who I'm holding a grudge against. And I'm going to walk through this release, this emotional release. And some of you are way ahead of me. And I'm going to walk through this emotional release of letting this person go. So let's just see how the, the process might work. And so, off my nightstand, I took this picture and I had it blew up. And, you know, when you work close with people, sometimes they rub you the wrong way. And Pastor Carrick and I, we work close together. We teach things together. Sometimes he steals my points. And, you know, we do all this stuff. So I just want to release him today. I want to find the freedom that's found in that. And, and sometimes i found that, you know, when you have the conversation with the, 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 the person, when you, when you have the conversation with the person, you know, it can be helpful maybe to kind of illustrate your feelings. So I might, for example, give him a unibrow across through here, you know, and maybe I'll give him some glasses on that, and, you know, maybe some uh, devil horns and goatee or whatever, you know, on that. But the point is... The point is, you do whatever it takes to release them. Because this is too important to just let it sit. This process of setting someone free, of releasing them, is so key to the freedom that God wants you to experience in forgiveness. And when you do that, whether it's this process, the chair, or the letter, when you do that, what you're doing is you're saying, I'm giving up my rights. Your rights to what? Well, if you look in your notes, between Matthew 18 and Romans 12, I left a little space when you fully release a person, what are you doing? Number one, you're giving up the right to repayment. It's not on the screen. You'll just have to jot this down in your notes. You're giving up the right to repayment. You're releasing the right to repayment. You see, when somebody harms us, we think that they are now in debt to us. Because they harmed us, and so now they owe us. They have to repay us for the wrong they've done. But when you release a person, you're releasing the right to repayment. And you're saying, that person no longer owes me anything. I'm releasing them from that debt. Just as the king released the debt in our story of the person who owed him millions. Secondly, you're releasing the right to revenge. The right to revenge. Because when somebody harms you, it's natural to want to get revenge. You want to have that conversation with them. You want to let them have it. You really want to go at it with them. But when you fully release them, you say, no longer am I going to seek revenge. You know, really, you don't have to anyway, because revenge is not your job. God says he'll take care of that. Romans twelve seventeen and 19, in your notes, it says to us, Never repay, never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God, for it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it says the lord now listen when it comes to this issue of release you will either release them once and be done with it for the rest of your life or you will rehearse the episode of pain for all of your life because that's what it's down to either release or rehearse and you have the choice forgiveness is always a choice it's the most difficult stage But it's one of the big steps. So once you take the big step of releasing them, if you look on the back of your notes, now you're ready for number three. Now you're ready to recognize God's purpose in the process. To recognize God's purpose in the process. And you know, the reality is, this has to be step number three. You can't recognize God's purpose in the process until you first release the person. If you try to do it in reverse, it just leads to confusion. And some of you have tried that. Some of you have said, God, if you will just show me your purpose for this pain or for this hurt, then I'll be able to release them. But the way it works is, God says, nope, you've got to release them first. You've got to take the action that you can take first. And it's only after you release someone that then you'll have the freedom to understand my purpose. Because when you're holding a grudge, you're separating yourself from God and He can't speak to you properly. But when you release that person, you've not only released them, but you've opened the doors between you and God. So now He can teach you. So now He can show you His purpose for this pain. You know, there's a verse that's not in your outline. It's perhaps one of the most misunderstood verses in the Bible when it comes to this area. It's in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And you've probably heard this because it's often abused when something goes wrong, because a lot of people says God I think this verse says all things are good. But actually what this verse says is that God works all things together for good to those who love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. Now, this verse is very important on this point of understanding God's purpose in the process. You see, not all things are good. The Bible never says that all things are good. Listen, the hurt you've experienced in the past is not good. The molestation that you may have gone through in the past is not good. The pain that you've gone through is not good. This verse doesn't say God says all things are good. God never does that. God understands we live in this broken world, this sinful world. Things happen. And if we don't understand that, it becomes so tempting for us to blame God. God, why did you allow this to happen? God, why did you make this happen? God says, no, I didn't allow this to happen. The other person did. So let's call it what it is. Let's say it's bad. Let's release that person. And then when you do, God says, I can miraculously bring good out of bad situations. And God does that over and over. God brings good out of bad situations. And that's a miracle. If you don't believe me, even in the early chapters of the Bible, God begins to teach us this principle. If you go all the way back over to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, you find that over the last three chapters of that book, 47 through 50, you find that God is teaching us a story of how he can bring good out of evil. It's the story of Joseph. and the story of Joseph, when Joseph is just a child, not even a teenager, He's out in the desert playing with his brothers and this band of thieves come along and the brothers have this sinful idea of selling, selling their brother into slavery. And that's what they do. They take the brother, they give it to the thieves, they take the money and they pocket it. And then when they get back home to dad, they say, oh dad, you're not going to believe this. Our young brother Joseph fell into a well and he's dead. Bad situation." As things would happen, Joseph eventually goes from bad to worse. He ends up in this pit, in this prison. There in this prison, he begins to have these dreams. And because he's a person who understands some of the supernatural things of the world during that day, he begins his rise to power. And out of that bad situation, some good things begin to happen in Joseph's life. And while we're not told it directly in the Scripture, over the course of time, Joseph begins to free his brothers. And he lets go of the grudge toward his brothers. And because of that new freedom he's experienced, he continues to rise and rise and rise until in the country next door to where his family lived, he's the right-hand man of the governor. Well, as fate would have it in this long story toward the end of book, the book of Genesis, the next-door nation fell on the hard times. A famine came in the land, and they decided to send some emissaries from that nation to the nation that had plenty of food, and guess who they sent? They sent Joseph's brothers. Now imagine the story, if you will. From the neighboring country, Joseph's brothers come over to beg for food. And they're now sitting before the right-hand man of the governor, who is their little brother. He recognizes them. He has released them. But it takes them a while to recognize him. But when they do, something very interesting happens in chapter 50 of Genesis. And I put it in your notes. Look at what Joseph says to them. But Joseph told them. Don't be afraid of me. Well, they should have been. He was the right-hand man. He could have taken their life there and then. But he says, don't be afraid of me. Am I God to judge and punish you? As far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. Would you underline the phrase, God turned into good? It doesn't say God called it good. It doesn't say God named it good. It said God turned it into good. And that's the miracle of forgiveness. That when you and I release another person in that bad situation, we can still recognize God's purpose. And he will take something bad and turn it into good. And Joseph recognized that. Look, I know some of you here have gone through some really tough stuff. And I am constantly amazed as a pastor To hear of some of the sinful situations that people in our church have gone through. And people have harmed you. And I don't know what purpose God will bring out of that situation. But I know if you follow this biblical process that he will. That God will bring about good. God will turn into good something that someone else will meant for evil. I know this. God can birth purpose out of pain. God can bring ministry out of misery. God can bring healing out of hurts. And that's the miracle of the biblical process of forgiveness. Releasing the person. And then saying, God, what is your purpose in this? And let God bring about the good. It's the first three steps. And these first three steps are absolutely mandatory. You've got to take these three steps. Can't skip any of them. But number four, number four is conditional. One through three, mandatory. Number four, conditional. Let's look at it. Step number four in God's process of forgiving others is number four, to reestablish the relationship. To reestablish the relationship. And you notice the parenthetical remark in your notes as much as possible. As much as possible. I want to talk about that, but before I do, let me recommend a resource. One of the things that's really helped me in the study of forgiveness is this book here called The Gift of Forgiveness. And some of what I want to teach in this particular point about how far do you go in reestablishing the relationship, I learned from a great Bible teacher named Charles Stanley. And we have some of these books available on the resource table if you're interested in learning more. But I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. One of the things that uh, this book taught me as it took us through the scriptural understanding of forgiveness is that forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. Ever heard that? You know, forgive, forget, restore. They're they're all different things. Forgiveness and reconciliation are not the same. And, you know, there are times when you should not reconcile. There are times when you should not reestablish the relationship. For example, don't reestablish the relationship if it's going to lead to additional personal harm. So you were harmed by this person once. You try to go in to reestablish the relationship, you get harmed again. Don't do that. Don't reestablish the relationship if there's less than 25% chance of restoration. You say, well, that's kind of vague, 25%, 25%. That's the freedom God gives you. He gives you the choice to decide. He never says you have to reestablish the relationship. You get to use your own wisdom to decide. Don't reestablish the relationship if the other person is unaware that they've harmed you. How many times has that happened in your life? It's happened in my life. Somebody comes along, harms me, they walk away blissfully unaware. And they don't even know they've harmed me. And I would actually cause more pain to them if I went and reestablished the relationship. So it's more of a personal issue for me. And then, don't reestablish the relationship if you expect an apology. You see, when we go to reestablish a relationship with someone who's harmed us, we've got this tape in our mind of how we think it's going to play out, and we're all going to hug, and the person's going to fall down and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. That only happens in movies. It doesn't happen in real life. So if you think you're going to get an apology, just don't even try. But if you can, if it is possible, God is so interested in relationships that if it can happen, then do it. If it's on your side and you can let go, then do it. But you see, whether you can reestablish the relationship or not, you must release them. And you must look for God's purpose in that. And then the Bible says that if you can't reestablish the relationship, what you can do is you can begin to act toward that person in good ways. Let me explain that. Look in your notes. Romans twelve twenty one. As a matter of fact, go ahead and find your place there. And let's read this verse out loud together. From Romans chapter 12, verse 21, it says, join with me. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing evil. No, that's what we want to do, right? I mean, two wrongs make a right. Let's take evil and conquer evil with evil. You came down on me, I'll come down on you even harder. That's not what the Bible says. Let's read it again, and this time I'll try to get it right. Here we go. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. What does that mean? means even if you can't reestablish the relationship, that's the ultimate good. Reestablish the relationship. But if you can't, you can still act in a good way toward that person. You may have to do this privately. Not publicly, but privately. You begin to change the way you think, and you think good thoughts about that person. You begin to pray not God's vengeance, but God's blessing on that person. You begin to look for ways where you might be able to act in a positive way toward that person. You may decide to stop talking about the situation and say, I'm going to let it go because I've assassinated this person's character enough, and now I'm going to act in a good way toward them and just drop it. Listen, biblically, it is okay not to restore the relationship. Let's say that some let's say that uh, your best friend, for example. Let's say that your best friend has an affair with your spouse. That would be an injustice, it would be a painful thing, it would be a serious breach. According to the Bible, you are required to forgive that person. Your best friend has an affair with your spouse, you are required biblically to forgive your friend. But you are not required biblically to remain friends. Doesn't mean you're going to still hang out on Saturday night, that's over. The breach has happened. Forgiveness, yes. Reconciliation, only if possible. You see, if you have forgiven the offender, if you've released the person, if you're following this process that we're talking about today, then you should feel no guilt or no shame that the relationship hasn't been fully restored. It's okay not to restore the relationship, and there's even times when you just shouldn't. Look at this next verse, Romans 12:18. Do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. verse says two interesting things. Number one, it says do your part. What does that mean? That means it's up to you to decide. You do your part. You can't force the other person to release you, but you can do your part by releasing them. You can't force the other person to discover a God's purpose, but you can do your part and discover God's purpose. Do your part. Do the side of the equation. You can. And then it says as much as possible. If possible. If possible. If it's not possible, skip this step. Move on to number five. Here's number five. Repeat the process. You ever read the back of a shampoo bottle? It's kind of funny what it says, right? It says wash, rinse, repeat. Same process, you know. This process of forgiveness is the same way. You're going to go through this process for the rest of your life. Listen, you've been thinking of one person that you need to forgive, as we leave today, I'm going to invite you to write the initials of that person on our walls of forgiveness and forgive that person. But that's just one person. Unless you've just lived a really sheltered life, there's a lot more than one person in your past. And you're going to have to repeat this process, walk through the steps, and then find forgiveness. And then, if just to be fully honest with you, even if you forgive everyone in your past, there's going to be more people in your future. Because we live in this fallen world. God never promised perfection in this life. It's only when we get to heaven. And so you're going to have to repeat this process. And you know, maybe in Matthew 18, just before Jesus told that story about the king and the million dollar debt and all that. Just before that happened, Peter came to Jesus. And maybe there had been some, you know, grudges among the disciples. And maybe there had been some hard feelings among the disciples. And Peter, who I love, comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus... How many times do we have to forgive another person? And in that day, the law says seven times. In that day, the law said seven times. The law also said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But nonetheless, Jesus got rid of that too. The law said seven times, and Jesus said this. Now, let me tell you what it is. Let me give you a new law. Look in your notes. Matthew 18, 22. No, Jesus replied, 70 times seven. Now, listen, some of you engineer types... You just added that up and you said 490, I've got it. Oh, I understand, 490 times I've got it. That's not what Jesus was talking about. What was Jesus saying? He was saying, how many times should you forgive others? How many times do you want God to forgive you? That's the answer. How many times do you want God to forgive you? Listen, there are things in my life that I've done wrong thousands of times and had to go to God to forgive me. And what if I went to him and he said, Nelson, sorry, you're out of luck. That's 491, end of story. But he doesn't do that. Instead, no matter how many times I go to God, whenever I ask God for forgiveness, he forgives me every time. Every time. And so when we are hurt by other people, and we go to God and say, God, how many times do I have to forgive them? 70 times 7. And God's math is not 490. It's every time. Every time. Every time. And you know, I know this is hard because I'm going to take the same thing and expand on it next week and talk about, is forgiveness really eternal? But you must understand that some of the strongest theological teaching in the Bible is around this principle. That our forgiveness by God is somehow connected to our forgiveness of others. Look in your notes. This is one of four times that the Scripture gives this statement. Matthew 6, 14, and 15, Jesus said, If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Strong language. Forgiveness is a big issue. God desires what's best for you. And God says the only way you can experience His best is to forgive others. Because when it comes to forgiving others, forgiveness is a choice. It's not an emotion. It's a choice. And today you have a choice. You have a choice. On one side of the equation, you can choose to hold on to your grudges. You can choose to hold on to your desire for revenge. And you can let bitterness run wild in your life. And bitterness can be the choice that you choose. God will not force you. It's up to you. You can choose bitterness. But you should know that if you allow bitterness to run wild in your life, it will manifest itself in some amazingly unhealthy ways. It will manifest itself in high blood pressure. It will manifest itself in a short temper, in irritability, in sleeplessness, in obsession with getting even. Bitterness will manifest itself in depression, in isolation, in negative attitudes, in a general feeling of dis-ease. And that's been proven over and over. And you can choose bitterness. Or you can choose to forgive another person. And you can find freedom. You can find release. You can find Peace with God and with others. You can find health. You can find joy. You can find love modeled at a higher level. And in general, when you choose to forgive, you're saying, God, take me to a higher level of living. Make me more like you. And the choice is up to you. And my challenge to you today, choose freedom. Choose to forgive. Release the person that you've been holding on to. Drop the grudges. Take the action necessary experience the freedom experience the freedom that's found in your memory verse Ephesians 4:32 be kind and loving to each other and forgive others just as God forgave you in Christ you know the ultimate proof that you've been forgiven or excuse me the ultimate proof that you've forgiven someone else is when you can honestly go to God in prayer and tell him that you've forgiven that person. I want to lead us in a prayer in just a minute. And if you're ready to experience that freedom, you pray this prayer with me and release the other person. And I want to invite you to go beyond just a spiritual exercise. And then as you leave today, to write the initials of the person you're forgiving on these walls. Our walls of forgiveness. And then spiritually, physically, and emotionally. Let's walk out of here knowing that we found the freedom of forgiveness. Will you bow your heads with me? If everyone will just bow your heads, whether you want to engage in this exercise or not, the choice is up to you. But if you're ready to forgive another person, maybe just right now you say in your heart, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for how much you've forgiven me. Today I forgive, and just say their name, the person you're forgiving. And God, I'm forgiving them for. And you just tell God what it is. He already knows, but there's something about stating it. And releasing that person. Just continue to pray. Say, God, show me any action I need to take to reestablish the relationship. Help me to forgive others as much as you have forgiven me. In Jesus' name, amen. As we depart here today, if you prayed that, and you found that freedom, there's going to be some people at the walls in the back with the markers. And I just want to invite you to get that, wall, get that marker and on our wall of forgiveness, write the name of the person. And that's your statement, your signature of forgiveness. And you can do that today.